0: this conversation on covid-19 is made possible by discovery hello i'm alec hogg and welcome to episode 19 of inside covid-19 coming up the first easing of the lockdown in south africa in-depth interviews with the leader of South Africa's business sector's COVID-19 healthcare initiative and with the founder of the suddenly popular video conferencing company Zoom. We'll have news of a good start for the free online consulting service and lessons from Germany which has started to ease restrictions on its citizens. Inside COVID-19 from Biz News. First in the headlines today, South Africa's National Command Council on COVID-19 has announced a gradual lifting of the lockdown. This includes allowing mines to start operating at 50% of capacity. Other sectors of the economy to open will be essential technology services and some call centres. The Minerals Council welcomed the news, saying its members are equipped to screen, test and manage employees that are COVID-19 positive. At a media briefing today, Minister Nkosa Lamini Zuma announced that the restriction on informal traders will also be lifted, but the ban on alcohol and tobacco sales remains in place.
1: We've also agreed that the mines must start operating. They'll start operating at 50%, and then the minister through directions will ramp them up to full capacity in an orderly way. But there are strict conditions around how the miners must come back, and those conditions include that there must be screening and testing of the miners uh, that would be coming back to the mines, and the industry must provide quarantine facilities for those mines that miners that might need it, and the mining. Companies must arrange for transport for the employees, the South African component of employees. Because of the extension of the lockdown, it's clear that we need to make sure that there are warehouses that are open that supply components for essential services, whether it's water, whether it's electricity, whether it's either essential services and facilities, hospitals, and so on. So, those warehouses must be uh, operational to make sure that all those things that need to be repaired, maintained, uh, are done. And also, water tanks should be installed that have been supplied by government to areas where there is no water. And also, Vehicles that are used by people who are in essential rendering essential services, should they need repairs, emergency repairs, that that should be opened for them. And so, those professionals who do that will have to be now working. But also for homes, private homes. If you have a best pipe or something goes wrong with your electricity, you should be able to call a plumber, a professional plumber or an electrician to come and sort that out. So we're saying that also is now opened up. And we are also stressing the issue of wholesalers, groceries, further shops. Uh, informal fruit and vegetable traders but we are also including those who in small villages in some of our provinces do fishing and they sell the fish. So that is also allowed but not cooked food and that is not yet uh, opened and we are also Saying that call centers, you remember, at the very initial phase, we had international call centers that were opened. Then we had call centers that service the essential services that should be opened. But now we're adding other call centers, for instance. We're adding the call centers that are used by retailers, for instance, when some people, when they have accounts at these shops, at guards, for shinies or whatever, they also take insurance that should they lose their jobs or be unable to work and pay their account in the short term, the insurance should uh, kick in. But the insurance can kick in if you don't then call and restructure your 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 dead, or trigger your insurance. So those call centers have become very important, and those are now being opened. Amongst the institutions that must have permission to move around, we've added the Independent Electoral Commission. Of course, now, We're using a lot of technology. As you know, people are working at home. People are zooming. People are using all sorts of uh, technology to communicate, to have meetings. So it's important that the ICT people who are able to repair, to assist, or render services to those essential services that are using technology, they should be able to work.
0: The economic cost of COVID-19 continues to rise with 5.2 million Americans filing for unemployment benefits yesterday, taking the total in the past month to 20 million. The country's $350 billion small business loan program is now going to require further cash injections after it was exhausted today. In the country's epicenter of New York, Governor Cuomo announced that residents will now have to wear masks or coverings when they go into public places, and he extended the lockdown to May the 15th. In Japan, Prime Minister Abe declared a nationwide state of emergency and plans to pass legislation that will give 100,000 yen to each person. That's a payment equivalent to 17,500 rands. Worldwide confirmed cases of COVID-19 are now at 2.1 million. Deaths are at 140,000. In South Africa, Discovery Health Medical Scheme has set aside 2.3 billion Rand from its reserves to support an immediate contribution holiday for businesses that have between 10 and 200 employees. They can now defer two months of the medical scheme's contributions. The company says these contributions will be repaid over a period of up to 12 months after the deferment, with no interest charges. Discovery is one of 21 major companies whose executives has thus far followed the example of President Ramaphosa and donated one-third of their salaries for the next three months to help fight the virus. The list includes South Africa's big six banks, its two major mobile phone companies Remgro, Mr. Price, Woolworths, and Sibanye. South Africa's finance minister, Tito Boene, reckons sub-Saharan Africa will require $100 billion to respond sufficiently to the COVID-19 pandemic, plus another $40 billion of additional resources for what he says are, quote, based on the kinetics of the pandemic, unquote. Boene was addressing a virtual meeting of the International Monetary Fund's traditional spring gathering. On a lighter note, here's a lovely story from our London correspondent, Linda van Tilburg. 99-year-old Captain Tom Moore originally wanted to raise a £1,000 for NHS charities together by completing a 100 laps of his garden before his 100th birthday. But he smashed his target after more than 650,000 people made donations to his fundraising page. As he finished the challenge, Captain Moore said, I feel just fine. I hope you're all feeling fine too. By midday, his Just Giving page, which temporarily crashed shortly after he finished the challenge, was showing donations of 13 million pounds. Inside COVID-19 from Business. On Monday, Business for South Africa provided a sobering perspective of the challenge that COVID-19 presents to South Africa. Board member Martin Kingston warned that the economy could contract by 10% this year, with a million workers potentially joining the unemployment queues. On the upside, considerable progress has been made on sourcing protective gear for health workers and in the expansion of COVID-19 testing. Both are critical building blocks in the planning as South Africa works towards gradually opening up its fragile economy. What follows is a wide-ranging interview with Stavros Nikolaou of Aspen Pharmacare. He's been seconded to the Business for South Africa operation where he heads up the healthcare group.
2: Business for South Africa has come together across all sectors of business and has set up three clusters, an economic cluster, a, a labour workplace-related cluster, and then a public health cluster. Each of these is aimed at a different uh, A different aspect of businesses' response to the pandemic. I'm the stream lead of the
0: public health cluster. Presumably you have to have equipment that protects the health workers. And we heard at the press conference earlier this week that there was 1.7 billion rands worth that is either on order or in the country so alec we've got uh so we've our, our role
2: is very much to to fill the gaps where the deficiencies in and, and uh in p p e and uh, medicines vaccines wherever it might be um so in our assessment that we've done and we've got great support from the the big four audit firms they they provide us uh the uh, project management capability and resource that we need to do all of this. So there's a team of 200-plus people that are working here on this. And in our assessment, to fill the gap, understanding that you're still going to have your normal operators that continue to bring product into the country, ours is a supplementary and complementary role to that. Filling the gap means that in the next four to eight weeks, we need to buy around 1.6 to 1.7 billion rand worth of PPE, um, and we have an order book so far of around 790 rand, uh, 790, rand, and around half of that has already been procured and executed, and the rest is on order. So we have uh, we've achieved roughly from an order book point of view. Around a third of what we need to achieve, but I must just hasten to add that we had an example yesterday where the shipment that arrives isn't doesn't uh, meet the quality standard that's been uh, represented to us, and that sort of shipment you would reject. So it does become a bit of a moving target, but uh, we we're getting more wins than losses here in the stuff that we're importing, so that's
0: important, I think. What exactly are PPEs? What are you trying to uh, bring into the country? So P- PPE is an
2: acronym for personal protective equipment. And uh, in, in, the, in the clinical and, and health worker space, this involves a, a number of different things that are going to give that healthcare professional or essential workers, some essential workers require these things as well. They might not be healthcare professionals, but they're essential Um, It provides them protection against the infection um, or the transmission of the infection, and it also allows them to operate more freely when they're dealing with patients. Typically, it involves things like masks, either surgical masks or what we call N95 masks. So N95 masks um, are are resistant to, to viruses, and, of course, COVID is a virus, um it involves things like gloves uh here we're talking about um we 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 talk- we're talking about gloves of uh, that you use in the surgical setting but also in the examination setting it It involves things like gowns surgical gowns aprons um there's covers that you wear they're called shoe covers and uh those are the type of things that we're looking at here. Some people will include ventilators in that. That's not the correct place to to fit the ventilators in. So PPE is just purely the garments that protect the healthcare professionals from contracting the infection.
0: What about the testing equipment?
2: So our countries uh, embarked on a, and this is a very critical element, uh, critical not only in the healthcare space, but also to critical to the economic decisions that are taken. Um, peri and post lockdown, our country has embarked on a, on a, on a, on a mass screening and testing campaign. Um, we currently have capacity to carry out across the private and public sector in our country, 25 to 30,000 tests a day. But, um, we did run into problems initially in terms of test kits, as you can imagine. These are also rare commodities globally because everyone started buying up these, these test kits because everyone's got the same strategy that we do really, which is massifying the testing. So we did have problems initially. Supplies have been stabilized. They've come into the country. We can do 25 to 30,000 a day, but we've got to do this efficiently. In other words, you have to carry out your screening and testing in the right places so that you're able to better understand where the epidemic is residing, where it's concentrated, and that then allows you to make the right health and economic decisions.
0: So we've got two weeks to go of the lockdown as has been announced. Is there going to be enough testing in that period to perhaps raise the lockdown completely? So
2: I think, I think that's the million dollar question here because um, there there's going to have to be a merging of the, of the healthcare and the economic modeling at, at a point in time and we, we're rapidly reaching that point. I'd say we're about a, a week away from that in my assessment. And uh, more important than having vast quantums of data is the, the data that you've got to have is, is got to be geographically representative, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that by you know seven eight days time we're going to have that that visibility because th- that's the type of information that both government and business need and and labour need to understand where you start lifting and where you start relaxing the lockdown. There, there's no doubt that our economy is in a very difficult space at the moment. Uh, they, the presidency hosted an economic summit this morning and unfortunately there's no good news coming out of there. There's only bad news and it's the degrees of bad news. So I, I have no doubt that we probably as a country edging a little closer to merging the health and the, the health science and the economic realities.
0: There was some announcement this morning or certainly a discussion this morning about Airlines being closed down. Now, as a former chairman of South African Express, have you got anything to add to that uh, debate?
2: So, so look, Alec, I was, I was chairman uh, about 11 years ago, and things have changed. The picture's changed dramatically. I think in the days that I was chairman, we used to turn over an operating profit of around 250 million rand, and I think gave a fairly good regional service to to the country and the region, Um, I I must say these days I'm I'm very much a a proponent of, first of all, the three entities, SAA, SA Express, and Manga, should have been merged into a single entity years ago. uh, It was even a proposal in my time. Secondly, I think we need to be reprioritizing all the the bailouts and all the capex that you've got to continuously—it's—it's it's really a sinkhole here. You've got to reprioritize it to more, um, to 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 other places that are where it's going to be applied more efficiently. We're not getting an efficient return on these entities. They—they're not critical because there are other airlines that could you could use. Sentimentally, of course, and emotionally, it's—it's it's devastating because. You know, it's been a national brand, part of the national identity for many years. But if I look at it from a rational point of view, I think the right decision is to redirect that funding into other priority areas in the economy right now. And there are many of those.
0: Dropping the list is of course COVID-19, uh, which we have been discussing now. Are you comfortable that we're doing everything possible in this country to make sure that the International uh, impact is going to be the, the less, the least it could be. You, you know, Alec, I don't, I can't think
2: of any country globally that's that's getting this uh, anywhere near right, to be honest. And um, not even those with massive and significant resources are getting it right, because it, it's just something that's completely blindsided the world and. Uh, with all the good planning that you can possibly ever have, you're going to have blindsiding and it's going to continue. We have been blindsided around the globe. I think our health our health response has been a very effective one in my opinion. The strategy is correct. The execution of it has been fairly good. I think the parts that we probably not doing as well in is is some of the social security aspects. And we're not doing well because of a combination of things. Firstly, we don't have the fiscal space or regal room to do what, for example, is very different when you're sitting in the U.S. and you can throw $2 trillion at this. We we just don't have that money at all. And I am concerned that the, the social security net is not what it ought to be. And we're starting to see manifestations of that. We, of course, as business, do dynamic risk assessments, and that is probably the biggest risk right now. And one's got to get a perspective on this. Um, of course, there's going to be mortality and a, and a stress on health resources, but if you, you you shouldn't lose sight of the poverty levels that exist in the country. And I'm I'm, I'm not going to be wrong. I don't think if I say that. If you look in 12 or 18 months time in the top 10 mortalities, you won't find COVID, but you'll find the usual poverty related diseases like HIV and malnutrition, et cetera. So one's got to get a real perspective here. So the short answer to your question is, I think at a, from a health strategy point of view, I think Minister Nkisi and his team have done, have done well. The execution has been fairly good under constrained uh, circumstances. Our, our social security response could have been better, I believe.
0: How do you see this all playing out from here?
2: So, look, I'm, I'm seeing this. Uh, I'm seeing this in three phases. Um, and, and I know when the clinical experts presented the other evening, they, they had it in eight in eight phases or stages. I'm seeing this in, in three phases, and, and generally this is business of view as well. Firstly, stage one is the current lockdown phase that we're in, and that's very much a consolidation and a preparedness phase. Phase two is going to be the gradual relaxation or lifting of the lockdown and dealing with the economic recoveries uh, sorry, the economic realities. And then the third phase is restructuring and rebuilding the economy. So those are the distinct phases I'm I'm seeing. Um, The end of phase one will be when you've had part of the gradual lockdown lifted and you're starting to see some sparking in the curve. And then you're going to move very much into how do you manage the economic realities and the burden that's going to be placed in uh, on tertiary healthcare facilities in particular. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it. What's important in all three of those phases is is the planning and the interconnectivity of these three. So we've got to – we know that there's going to be hundreds of thousands of jobs shed. It's not going to be pleasant. Um, And you're going to have to restart the economy. And it's going to be a bit like looking at – I think every generation at some point in time goes through this. Whether it's a generation that had to recover from the Second World War or the one that had to recover from the Great Depression, or you could even say a a post, a post apartheid, uh, economy in South Africa. Every generation goes through these difficulties. But the importance is how do you respond and how do you recover from those difficulties? I think that's the important thing. And I think that's where we need to get the national mindset geared at. But right now I'm 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 detecting a lot of de- dejection because I think the economic reality sort of three weeks in are starting to they're starting to bite and, and people are starting to get an air of desperation. And I think we need to channel that into what how do we change the national mindset to one saying that this is the recovery and the recovery is going to only be determined by how well we restructure the economy, the economy has been due for restructuring anyway. there's significant structural reforms that are required, and maybe that's the little silver lining we can take out of this. We haven't had the courage to restructure. maybe this is the time now driven by an
0: air of desperation. Mr, Nicola, where are we in those three phases? So we, we, we're edging towards the end of phase one
2: which is this, this containment lockdown phase. And I, I think as soon as you start seeing a gradual relaxation of that, and uh, like the clinical expert said the other evening, you, you're going to have a spike in the curve. There's absolutely no doubt. It's unavoidable. This has really bought us time. The, 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 the slight protraction of phase one has bought us time to better gear up for what's going to come in the tertiary facilities, the healthcare facilities. But it's also allowed us to build up more data. The data set's going to be better. And if you've got a better data set, you can make better decisions. So that's really been the purpose of this phase down, uh, this first phase, I should say, the lockdown. And it's unfortunately bringing towards the end of it, bringing the economic realities uh, home to roost.
0: We're joined by Anna Endres, who has been intimately involved with the special offering that Discovery has for South Africans in partnership with Vodacom, where you can get a free consultation with a doctor if you believe there's some issue to do with COVID-19. Mrs. Endres, have I got that right? Is, Is that the way it works?
3: That's correct. So anyone who suspects that they might be um, infected with COVID, they, they go through a process of checking via our triage in their symptoms. And based on the results of that triage, they will have, in the case of, of being at risk for COVID uh, via the triage, they will have the ability to then conduct a virtual consult to, with one of the doctors that are part of that COVID team.
0: So just go back a step, the triage tool.
3: So, the the triage is based on WHO latest guidelines that we have from WHO, and it basically tries to understand. Whether this person exhibits symptoms that place her as an at risk of, of indeed a COVID infection, and so depending on the times we've already had to update as those guidelines get updated by WHO, but for instance, they will ask whether you are finding that you've got fever or a runny nose or cough, um, they will also ask you whether you've been in contact with someone that has been identified as a positive case of COVID, et etc et etc. and so based on the results of the answers to those questions, you will then be given a certain rating uh, of risk with regards to uh, to a possible COVID infection. If you are indeed at at a, uh, a good risk of COVID, then it will automatically open up the ability for you to do the consults with the doctor.
0: And where are those questions?
3: So they're all on the website. It's part of the journey that you as a, as a, a patient, if I want to call you like that, as a potential patient that you would follow. So you, the member journey, the, the, the patient journey starts off with understanding more about COVID, and there's a very comprehensive information there around the disease itself, then follows up, um, asks you if you want to register or log in if you're a discovery member, asks you to register. If you indeed want to, to know more about and, and go through the triage, then it opens up the triage tool. If the triage identifies you as, as at risk for it, then, then it opens up the, the virtual consult ability then and there.
0: Great. What happens next?
3: So if you decide that uh, you want to do the virtual consults, uh, you are able to schedule a virtual consult with uh, with one of the doctors. A team of doctors uh, that are available for these consults gets pre-populated with their closest times of availability for a consult. And you just literally pick and choose time and a day that is convenient for you. And and at that point in time, you might want to insert a few details around your symptoms if you want to or about any Allergies or chronic conditions. If you want to to give a heads up to the doctor about it, and then at the time of the consult, it's uh, you know uh, you will be prompted to start the consult with with the doctor, and the doctor will obviously have access to whatever data you you have inputted into the into the system.
0: And where is the consult conducted?
3: over the discovery platform called doctor connect that platform allows you to do video consults or audio consults if you prefer and your connectivity or data you know connectivity is not as as good it also allows you to do chat consults so they would not be live consults they would be asynchronous but you can also chat with the doctor that way uh, that's part of the, so the, these are all available options in the Doctor Connect platform that Discovery has.
0: How long, how much has it been used?
3: So we've uh, already a significant increase since we've launched this. We've, we've had already more than 4,000 consults um, happening since we've launched this effort. These consults are some, some of the, uh, a good part of these are for COVID related matters, but people are not using, Discovery members are not using it just for COVID related matters. They also, uh, you know, want to have virtual consults with their doctors for anything else that's, uh, that they have. So a portion of these 4,000 consults have just been Discovery members doing normal chronic consults with their, with their doctors as well. But this is significant increases, I'd, I'd say. More than a 1,500% increases uh, over what what you would have seen in the previous month.
0: All to do with COVID-19. The uh,
3: largely to do yes. Uh, so yes, all to do with COVID-19. Whether people are wanting to understand their symptoms for COVID, or they're saying I can't get out of the house, I prefer not to go to a hospital or to the clinical setting and rather do the virtual consult. So for those two reasons, it has significantly bumped up the number of, of virtual consults.
0: Is this aligned with the Vodacom offering?
3: Yes. So the Vodacom offering is the specific one for for COVID consults. And in that offering, Vodacom and Discovery has jointly put significant funding towards covid specific consults and in that offering we've opened up not just for obviously discovery discovery members but for the entire south african population and so anything to do with with the covid any consults on the covid side of things includes not just discovery members but indeed the the whole south african population that that goes through that journey
0: so mrs Andres, if i can just get this correct if somebody were to inquire through Vodacom, uh, through the the Vodacom service that uh, that has been quite well uh, articulated, would they come through this platform as well or would there be a different process?
3: It's the same platform. So say that you are a Vodacom subscriber and you go to the Vodacom website, for instance, and you see there a lot of information around COVID. Once you press there and you decide that you actually want to continue with with a virtual consult, you are automatically routed to this common platform that both Vodacom and Discovery are jointly using for this partnership.
0: 4,000 sounds like a lot of people. Are you guys happy with the take-up?
3: We are definitely happy with, uh, with the fact that we can help and contribute the risk tracing and and the treatment of of this disease in South Africa. Uh, we estimate that a lot more will come and will be requested, a lot more consults, virtual consults will be requested and initiated in the next few weeks and and months because we 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 expect that the the disease's uh, trajectory will will still increase and more and more people will find themselves passing the triage tool and, and having indeed already symptoms so we, we think that this is just the beginning actually of the usage of, of those, those consults and that fund
0: So just so that we understand it correctly, there are two ways into the consultations the one is via the discovery website where you have the triage tool which is very easy to find, the second one is via the Vodacom service uh, how, do you, how do you physically get through the Vodacom service, is there a number to call?
3: It's actually all online. This isn't a, a phone number to call. So if you go through the Vodacom's website, you will see a big banner there that is COVID related and you press on the banner and it will just uh, follow through as an online journey all the way to, to the different steps that you may encounter. Similarly, on the on the Discovery side, uh, if you go to the Discovery website, you will find a big COVID banner. And once you start from that information hub around COVID, it will take you through that journey if that's how you want to proceed. It's also available on the, the Discovery app, uh, the, the, the similar journey, um, but it's not a, a phone number to call. It's all really online.
0: Mm. From your perspective, I'm sure, uh, given that you head of Discovery's health services, you would be learning a lot From the experience, could you see uh, these learnings being applied elsewhere?
3: Absolutely. I mean, we are learning uh, exactly, you know, what the – doctors and what patients and, and members find easy or less easy as, as part of the platform. We are, you know, also um, understanding how we need to change and improve and evolve this platform going forward. So it's all been um, very good, very good learning across the board. And like I said, I mean, with, I mean, Discovery has had this platform for about three years now, and we are now almost like stress testing really the platform, the usability, all of that, because there's a lot more people engaged in it, and we're so happy to to see it that way.
0: So you're able to adjust and maybe smooth out the wrinkles?
3: Absolutely, and it's it's a continuous process. And, uh, and we, we are able, like I said, even just from a triage perspective, we've uh, already made two adjustments on the triage tool because as the guidelines evolve, we immediately change the triage tool to reflect that.
0: As the impact of COVID-19 bites deeper in some places, countries that appear to have the virus under control have started easing up on their lockdown restrictions Latest of these is Germany, which in the first world is being pointed to as the template for handling the pandemic. It has relaxed COVID 19 restrictions on much of daily life, but there's no return to the old normal. Here's our partner at the Wall Street Journal, correspondent Bojan Panczewski.
4: Essentially, what happened was they locked down gradually in March over the period of a week. Since March 24th, we've had this sort of relatively strict lockdown and since then authorities have been observing the figures essentially the growth of the number of infections and what they call r is is what they consider uh, the most important metric and r stands for reproduction rate that basically means how many persons does one infected patient pass on the virus to now that figure has dropped to 1 or about 1 around 1 in Germany that means that one infected person infects just one other person and when the figure goes below that they feel they will feel confident to lift most of the restrictions for now we're we're going gradually here in Germany but you know it's difficult to make comparison with the United States or elsewhere because different countries are at a different stage of the epidemic Germany has from early on been testing massively, much more than most other nations, and they've been able to sort of assess the number, the true number of infections. I think that can't be said for the United States and for most other nations, in fact. So you have the unknown sort of number of infections, which, which is a problem. Knowing the figures more or less correctly allows policymakers to make decisions, such as the decision that was made today in germany also they however you know introduced a huge caveat of they will be watching the development and if they see the figures going up again they will introduce the restrictions again so we're we're probably looking at a sort of a on and off for the next few months or perhaps even a year as the chancellor merkel said this is not a return to normal life normal life will not return until a cure is found or until a vaccine is discovered. So until then, we, we, we shouldn't be hoping for normality as we knew it before the virus. Essentially, they will now re- reopen all stores that are up to 800 square meters. It's basically sort of mid-sized to, to larger stores. All of them will reopen. Some of the services will, will return. Then schools will gradually start opening as of the first week of May, meaning that the, the older students will lead the way because the government believes that with older students that means teenagers essentially you can you can reason with them and explain the social distancing rules and the new hygiene rules which are expected to be very strict so that will be the gradual opening essentially here in Germany the lockdown never really included the industry so what you have to know is that 80% of manufacturing is is up and running still the car makers however which is the flagship industry of Germany they voluntarily stopped operations because dealerships were closed and because global demand basically dropped as soon as the epidemic engulfed most of uh, the countries of the world so car makers voluntarily stopped and they they announced that they will now sort of start reopening production but that will obviously very much depend on demand. There seems to be a sort of a mixed reception of this because people kind of expected that this lockdown will go away sooner and in fact what the government is saying is they are essentially saying the measures will not go away. For example measures such as the ban on more than two people who do not live in the same household going out in public together still remain. So essentially that means that if you and I don't live in the same household, we can go for a walk, but we can't be joined by a third person. That will not be allowed. So, you know, bars and restaurants will remain closed indefinitely. Hotels will remain closed indefinitely. So it, uh, it's a mixed bag. And, and some people are growing quite frustrated, especially the parents of younger children and 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 kids who go to kindergartens and, and daily care, daycare you know, these facilities are not reopening yet. So that that is a frustration for parents who have to work from home and then they have to keep their children's weight with them. So, you know, it's a bit of a mixed reception, but uh, at least they're seeing the end of the tunnel. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think there is a sense that there is a gradual path towards normalizing life somewhat.
2: Inside COVID-19, from News.
0: People who are in lockdown are flocking to the video conferencing service Zoom, not only for business, but also for yoga classes and schooling. But the company has experienced privacy issues with hackers introducing racist and pornographic content known as Zoom bombing into some of these meetings. Chief Executive Eric Jan told Bloomberg hosts Carol Massa and Jason Kelly that his IT team has made mistakes but it is working ten times harder to provide stronger security going forward. Here's a fascinating in-depth interview with the man whose users have zoomed from 10 million to 200 million as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic.
5: Yeah, so first of all, you know, when we started and prior to these surprises, Zoom was built for serving the business and enterprise customer. And recently, given the usage from consumers or the consumer use cases, we had to pivot, right, to focus on those brand new users, brand new use cases, because we really want to help out, you know, during this crisis. And usage, for sure, is uh, is much higher than before because, uh, you know, brand new users, brand new use cases from all over the world, and we are working extremely, extremely hard to handle all kinds of issues like capacity. The, the consumer uh, use case, the uh, privacy, and so on and so forth.
6: Right. And I just want to put some numbers, Jason, just before you jump in, because I know Drake had mentioned you guys had about 10 million daily users in December. That number now is, Jason, about 200 million.
7: Yeah, it's amazing. And so how do you cope with that, uh, Eric, in, in terms of just the the physical capacity, the infrastructure uh, that you needed to, to get online and presumably get online very fast? Yeah,
5: first of all, it's extremely, extremely hard. We had to change the software. But what's more important is that I actually really, really appreciate two of our partners. Without those two partners, well, I think we cannot survive. You know, Every night, we needed to edit, you know several thousand servers. And you know, Andy, the CEO of uh, AWS, Amazon, you know, did a great job. His team, his infrastructure really helped us. And Oracle, and Larry, and you know, Safra, their Oracle club, also helped us a lot. I think those two great partners And really help us to scale our backend and give us more capacity. Without Amazon, without Oracle, I think, you know, we are, we already have a huge problem.
7: Well, it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like you, you went right to the top there. I mean, that just sort of shows you the, the interest in this in, in many ways and the importance of your partnership for those companies. They see you as, as obviously just driving a huge part of the economy that has gone uh, virtual rather
5: than, than physical, it sounds like. Uh, You are right. I would say, I would give the credit, you know, to Amazon and Oracle. You know, especially Oracle, they did it proactively and not for for any business. They they just want to help. They thought this is a, you know, crisis. You know, they want to do all they can to help. They look at what we need. They they did everything proactively to help us, you know, ND as well, the Amazon as well. I think this is the time to show the corporate. You know, social responsibility, and uh, nobody is talking about uh, you know sales or marketing or anything else. This is a great, you know, a uh, great role model for many companies to follow.
6: So, Eric, you know, the usage numbers and the increases are just unbelievable, uh, and I am curious how much of what's happening today do you think translates into longer-term usage trends, especially once we get on the other side of the virus.
5: That's a great question for now, and we really, really do not think about that. The reason why for now the number one priority is make sure to the existing users well, fix all the privacy, any potential security issues. And because this is a critical time. This is a crisis. Right? As long as we can keep the, the current use, you know, working from home already very challenging to help every Americans and, uh, you know, okay at home and also make sure the help the economy. That's our top priority. But regarding the future and uh, what's going to happen, we really do not focus on that. We also do not focus on monetization either. I think it's time for us to really help out, to help the economy, to help the society. So, Eric, we have to talk
7: about the education side of this. Um, I know that you have uh, taken some criticism here in New York City uh, and elsewhere for some privacy concerns, especially because it is being used uh, so heavily in a classroom, a virtual uh, classroom setting. Help us understand what happened and what you had to do in response.
5: Yeah, when we started, actually, we jumped on this, uh, you know, too quickly. Cause Friday, school shut down. We worked so hard all the way. Week- we hey, let's do something to help the you new know, community and add capacity. Let's offer the free k access. I think we have good intention. Unfortunately, you know, our service was built for serving enterprise customers. We have uh, all kinds of uh, security features built in. Normally, the enterprise IT team. They will decide which feature to enable, which feature to disable, and train the users before they come on board. And for those schools, I think we made a mistake. You know, we should not, not only do we offer a service, but also should play an IT role for them. You know, on day one, we should enable password. On day one, we should disable attendee sharing. On day one, we should enable waiting room. But after learning that, we, take, you know, we took quick actions already, and this issue, those issues are already fixed. And uh, but New York, you know, city's public school. We are still in the process working together with them because you know a lot of public schools and in New York. They all work work together with us directly, and if they want to manage you know more like manage uh, all the schools with a master account to make sure enforce the security setting right. I think they are doing the right thing, and in the process, they're still working together with us now.
6: So uh, you know, some of the other concerns were. I mean, Taiwan was concerned about. Um, data that was going through um, and traffic that was going through Chinese data centers. From what I understand, you folks have said that you mistakenly sent that traffic through. Um, has that stopped completely? That completely stopped last Friday. I want to clarify that. It's not every meeting sent to, to China.
5: This, that's why people, I guess, probably read the headline news. and then, In the future, after read and understand what's going on, hopefully they are going to change the decision back. The problem is we have a global distributed meeting center. Mm-hmm. So for, if you and I we have a meeting here, suppose both of us, we should connect to our U.S. data center. But in you know, extremely rare cases, and the, one of the attendees had a connection problem, and we tried many, many times, go back to our backup, get backup data center. Backup data center has a configuration problem, and also the you know, server in China also there. So meaning in a rare, rare cases, case, by the way, it's random. It's very, very random. Also, that's our Zoom China data center. Plus, we also know which meeting, what time, which participant had a connection problem, you know, routing through our Zoom China data center. We have all those information, and this issue is already completely fixed. Not like you know, all the data centers to China or, or in something like this. There's a pipeline. No, it's completely random. We have all those logging data. So that's why we have high confidence. Right. I guess they may not know that for now.
6: Well, and let me ask you, too, I mean, I'm curious what your response is to the news that Google, um, SpaceX, Tesla, they're not allowing employees to use Zoom because I think some of what you said about with privacy concerns or other problems is it's because it's non-business users who don't know how to set things up securely. These are companies that certainly know how to do that. So what's your response to those companies not allowing their employees to use Zoom? Yes, SpaceX
5: was our customer before and also, and I think even before this, because, you know, we made a, a mistake, you know, our iPhone clan and embedded, uh, you know, Facebook SDK, you know, some of the, you know, not a sensitive personal information, you know, send it out. And uh, that's the reason why, you know, even before this, you know, this is, this, they feel like, hey, we need to really focus on those kind of problems. I think that's why we are going to freeze any new features in every three months we double down, triple down on those uh you know the, the the issues and i think we are going to win the trust back and uh, you know that's uh, we are going to work 10 times harder and to win the trust back for for those users and so eric you know
7: another sort of looking ahead question in the sense that i think we all uh, agree to some extent or another that our lives, our world has fundamentally changed here. And I do wonder as more companies, you know, start to think about remote, we're thinking about changes in commercial real estate. We're thinking about all these ways that, that our lives have changed, how we communicate personally, how we communicate with, with business. Look around the corner for us. How does this platform, how does your platform change?
5: How do you sort of keep ahead of competitors in some ways? So that's a great question. I think because of this crisis, hopefully this crisis can end very very soon. It's you know so painful for everybody. I think after this crisis, I think the way to work is very will be very very different. And the, the, I would say you know to work from home might become a uh, very common now, right? And because you know for now more like a stress test to see if working from home works or not. I think it does to some extent. So and also the consumer use case and the billion use case, I think the boundary is not a, you know where you know the, the clear anymore. So that's why we need to rethink really about you know on the one hand we keep serving our big enterprise customer that's our focus, and also given the so many consumer use cases, you know how to make sure we really balance that, really focus on privacy, really focus on security. That is something you know it's, it's overnight you know we, we are facing this kind of problem. And it's pretty tough, and we're, we are taking these kind of things very, very seriously.
6: So in terms of the privacy concerns, and also there were concerns about you sharing, you know, Zoom sharing data with other companies, um, I think whether it was Facebook and some others, um, is that not happening?
5: So the Facebook issue is already fixed, I would realize, two weeks ago, and within 24 hours we were to fix that. Essentially, that's uh, we embedded a Facebook SDK into our iPhone client. And we did not know, we did not know when we initialize SDK, you know, some of the device information, again, not a personal sensitive emission and send it to the, the Facebook. So we do not know that it's more like a software bug. We already completely fixed that within 24 hours.
1: Mm-hmm. And
5: uh, yeah, so that is already fixed. So we never wanted, we, ne- we never have any intention to sell any customer data to any other third party. So how do you I, – I mean, I guess
7: another future-looking uh, question here, Eric. This is a question that we're asking so many leaders uh, that we talk to, entrepreneurs, investors – College presidents, everyone. We just spoke with the CEO of McGraw-Hill, who obviously is very familiar with your work uh, being in the education space. And, and we do wonder, what does the world look like uh, on the other side of this? You know, you mentioned uh, work changing. You mentioned our, our lives changing. But what are some ways maybe that we're underappreciating in terms of how the world will be different as we start to figure out this new normal?
5: Uh, that's a great question. For now, actually, for us, you know, seriously, we just focus on two things: you know, scalability, make sure service keep the service off, and also double down, triple down on our investment on privacy and uh, in deal with any you know potential security issues. And other than those two things, and uh, we we I really do not have a plan with a single of that it's because this is full of uh, uncertainty. This is unprecedented, and uh, it's really hard. You know, everything is, it's struggled, or we also struggled, right? To to kind of uh, never realize this kind of a use case and their traffic. So we we really do not have benefit to think about you know the the future. Just to, you know focus on today, you know keep the service up.
6: But That's wait a minute, wait a minute. Eric, you are someone who, you know, anticipated the future, that we would need a service like this that was easily usable. Do you anticipate, though, that maybe when we get on the other side of the uh, virus that we do have a world where more people are much more comfortable talking this way? There's got to be some, you know, you know, put on your futurist hat Some at some point, you know, that you see, you know, a different kind of future, or do you not?
5: That's a great point. You are so right. We should. I believe we should. But for now, we just, uh, you know, need to put all the effort, you know, focus on the scalability and privacy. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, but this is a great point. I I, I think you are right Tom. Huh? But uh, this should be something we need to think about, you know, very, very quickly and seriously.
6: I do want to ask you one thing because I am looking. You know, we're Bloomberg. We love numbers. You know, you are a company now with a 34 billion dollar market cap and about 622 million in revenue. What is necessary for you to really grow into um, that? market cap valuation, what do we need to see from Zoom in the next 6 to 12 months for that to be justified? Because if you look at a P-E ratio, it just doesn't make sense at this point. So what do you need to do to really grow those revenues to grow into that market cap?
5: You know, I, I'm essentially, I'm an engineer, right? So I like to focus on something, you know, that can be under our control. For anything that out of our control, I, I really do not know what had happened. You know, even last year, you know, within the public, and a public mentioned, you know, and the stock price is too high. Seriously, I had no idea. And maybe everybody think the future is about video communication. For now, I sure, seriously I had no idea. I, you know, if you ask me, I personally think the stock price is, is, is too high. I mentioned it last year. I would have been in the public already. And I keep mentioning that. You know, for now, it's still high. You know, I think uh, you look at, at the P, you're so right. And this is a number just ridiculous. I, I, And again, this is out of our control. I never pay attention to stock price. I would say just to focus on the user experience, focus on, you know, make sure our customer happy, and the stock price will be taken care of in the future. But for the time being, we just keep working hard, focus on long-term shareholder value. But the short-term stock price, I really don't understand. Yeah, I really do not. <music>
0: This has been episode 19 of Inside COVID-19. I'm Alec Hogg. Until tomorrow, cheerio. This conversation on COVID-19 was made possible by Discovery.